Good morning, church family. Good morning. Good to see you. Uh, welcome to those of you joining us, Faith Online. We're glad that you're joining us online, although we look forward to having you back as soon as possible when it's safe to do so. We would love to continue to gather with you in person here as well. So welcome to all of you. Um, did you hear the governor thinks we're close to a lifting a mask restriction? That's pretty cool. Uh, and in the meantime, appreciate that we're, uh, appreciate as I look around the variety that goes with the fact that we're continuing to follow CDC guidelines and wear masks if we need to, and those that don't need to because of vaccination don't need to. And so thank you for your cooperation. And I'm getting close to not wearing one, and maybe we're all getting close to not wearing one. So that's pretty cool. So welcome to Faith Church. My name's Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and uh, we want to study God's word together here in a few moments. Uh, so I was thinking this week, you'll see that this morning's Bible passage has to do with, with growth. But that got me thinking about growth. And there's, I, think, I feel like there's things that come to mind when you think of growth. Some are good and some are not so good. Is growth a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, if, depending on the amount of green thumb you have, there are things that in your, sometimes there are things in our garden we don't want to grow that grow. And things that we do want that don't grow, right? Perhaps when we're younger, we think growth this way is a good thing. And perhaps now we worry that growth this way is not such a good thing. So, so what is it with growth? Or what kind of growth are we looking for? Is there good growth? Is there bad growth? And, and of course, this morning we're talking about spiritual growth. And this morning we're talking in some ways what comes to mind is church growth and you know, there's a lot said out there about helping churches grow, and especially about helping churches grow numerically in number. And, and that can be a good thing. Growing numerically is a sign of health, and it's an indicator that God's doing good things there. But it's not all about numerical growth. It's not, uh, that's not the ultimate thing that God is after. What kind of growth is God after? What kind of growth does God want? And there's a lot of talk about uh, what churches can do and this and that, but we got to be careful not to look to to worldly methods and efforts to sort of manufacture growth when what really we're after this morning, what God is after, is our spiritual growth, our growth in relationship to him individually and as a church family. How do we grow as followers of Jesus? What does development as a Christian look like? Not just becoming a Christian once back when and then good, stop, done, but development. Right? So open your Bible if you uh, haven't already and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we are again as we are in a series of messages called Walk Worthy. Um, and we'll get into Ephesians 4 here in just a moment. So turn there in your Bible and we want to keep our eyes and our fingers in the text in God's word so that we can hear from him together. Uh, we're in a series of messages called Walk Worthy as we teach our way through passage by passage in this book in the Bible called Ephesians, which is a letter from a church leader named Paul to a group of Christians in a town called Ephesus, the Ephesian Christians. And so this letter is called Ephesians. And, uh, and those of you that have been with us, that have been tracking with this study, and as we work our way through Ephesians, uh, you may remember that we really have come to a turning point in this letter. The first three chapters is, is in some ways could be considered one section, and the remaining part of the letter is another section. And so we've just entered chapter four last Sunday, and that's really kind of a turning point of the letter, where we go from all this amazing truth about what God has done and what is true about God and the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, and now this turning point 
we looked at last Sunday, we'll look at again here briefly now, chapter 4, verse 1, the author, Paul, this church leader, says, I, Paul, urge you to walk or live your life in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Live it out. We've heard this good news about Jesus, he says, and now the turning point in chapter 4, verse 1 is, live accordingly. You know what God has done for you. You know how richly blessed we are. Live a life that is worthy of the calling you have received, that, that calling of the good news of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God reconciles sinners like you and I through the life, death, and resurrection, that God rescues and forgives and, and, and makes us right again with God because of what Jesus has done, that, that life now and life eternal is possible because of, of what God has done for us through Christ. And so, how do we then live? Our, our worthy walk, walking worthy of that glorious good news, is going to mean spiritual growth, developing as a Christian, maturing. And so today, uh, we're gonna, when we get into today's passage, we're going to consider a couple things. We're gonna, we're gonna, you're going to hear us take a look at the fact that we all have a ministry. We all have a servant a service role, a calling within the church to, to give to others, to serve Jesus by serving others. And we're going to talk today about maturity, that as we serve, as we use how God uses us to serve others, that's going to help each other uh, grow spiritually. So we're going to talk about that maturity aspect. But in this chapter 4, after this turning point, the first emphasis we actually covered last Sunday, we see that reminder in verse 3. Chapter 4, verse 3, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So last Sunday, the charge was your worthy walk, your spiritual growth includes being eager to maintain unity. That word eager translated to, um, to making haste, be diligent, hustle, work at it, fight for unity, pursue unity among followers of Jesus. So that was the first thing that this passage called for, for us as believers, as we walk worthy, as we grow spiritually, is to maintain unity. And then, interestingly, we're, kind of our passage that's new for this morning starts at verse 7. And so as we start now this morning's passage at verse 7, what's interesting is we just got done talking about the unity we have, how we are um, bound together as, as Christians because of one Lord and one faith and one gospel and one baptism and all those beautiful things that were mentioned there in those previous verses. And so thinking about the unity that we have in Christ and within that unity, it's interesting that verse 7 says this, but grace was given to each one of us. So there was this unity sense talking about we are all one together but now verse 7 says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. I love this because it should remind us that within the unity we have as fellow believers, there's still diversity. We talked a little bit about that last Sunday, the diversity of age or in gender and background and life experience and uh, uh, socioeconomic status. It could be diversity in uh, ethnic or racial, you know, um, ethnicity, etc. So there's all this diversity, and that can be true, and yet we can be unified, find unity together in Christ, 
And then here's another way this verse is bringing up our diversity, is that we, are each, that we each receive a grace gift, a gift of God's grace to each of us. So, it, so there's unity, but there's also diversity. There's also a sense that we are still unique individuals, that God gives unique giftedness to, and, and unique calling to, for you to fit into that unity and for what you contribute to the body. What are grace gifts? Verse 7 says that grace was given to each one of us. And we see other places in Scripture talk about these gifts of grace to a grace gift. A supernatural ability to do what God calls us to do. So as followers of Jesus, you've been called to follow him and to live out the gospel and to live out his love to others and proclaim the good news to others. And then he gifts you uniquely it's, the verse says, according to the measure of Christ, he, he gives you exactly what he wants to give you. It's, it's apportioned to you, for you. And so we all have this special ministry to perform because of these grace gifts that we have this ability to do what God wants us to do. He empowers us to carry out what he's made us to do. We all have a special ministry to perform. We've heard the analogy elsewhere in Scripture that, that, the body of, that the church is the body of Christ, and each of you is a part, so right? So there's unity of being one body, but individuality, diversity within that one body is each of you unique part of the body with something to contribute, with a, with a ministry, a service, a grace service to give. So... How many, how many followers of Jesus, how many of you have received that grace gift? All. He says each of you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living within you, and God has given you his grace, this, this grace gift to serve the church. And he's given it to you. Verse 7 says, according to the measure of Jesus' gift. If you have thought some before about what your spiritual gift is, or perhaps you've heard some feedback, or someone's encouraged you about what your spiritual gift might be, or that, that, that thing that God's made you uniquely to serve the church, you know, sometimes we've thought about it, and, and I just want to say, it's just what Jesus wanted you to have. Do you hear that? So be careful not to second guess what he's given you. Be careful not to compare what he's given you to given grace gifts to others, because it says Jesus gave just what he wanted, just in the measure he wanted to you. We all have a special ministry to perform because a follower of Jesus is filled with God's Holy Spirit. You each, follower of Jesus, each of you, are Holy Spirit-empowered ministers of the gospel. How many ministers are in the room? As many as are believers in Christ. Be careful, the one standing on the platform is not the only minister in the room, right? You, each follower of Jesus, are a Holy Spirit-empowered minister of the gospel. Let's keep going in the passage. Verse 8. Therefore, it says, and he quotes a psalm, Paul quotes a psalm here. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Then he gives a little explanation. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? 
He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Paul borrows a line from Psalm 68, 18 here, and in in borrowing from Psalm 68, Paul borrows this imagery of a conquering king, of what would happen in those days of a conquering king, and then how he would receive gifts from those conquered, and how he would spread that wealth among his people. And so Paul borrows this imagery of a conquering king, and he applies it to who? To Jesus who descended in his incarnation, who left the heavens, descended to earth as a human man, took on, took on humanity, became a man, not only descended to earth, but even descended to the, the humbling himself to earthly death. He who descended, then ascended, was ri- ra- raised again, his resurrection from the dead, and ascension into heaven to sit at the right hand of God. He who descended also ascended, So Paul uh, um, attaches this imagery to Jesus. And and it says, and a commentator I was studying this week says, so that now Jesus fills the whole universe as conquering king and he joyously lavishes gifts upon his children. Here's his giving of grace gifts to those who are in his family, who are believers in Jesus. He lavishes gifts upon his children. He bestows abundant gifts to his church and gives his people power to fulfill their gifts. You, follower of Jesus, are a Holy Spirit-empowered minister of the gospel. Good news. And so what do we know about grace gifts? Um, Who gave them? Christ. Yeah, God, through Christ, gives who? Every believer a grace gift, and so that, and think of, think of receiving that gift from the image we just saw in those scriptures, from a conquering king, a gift from a conquering king, thankful to the Lord for his gifts to us, and then what does God want to do with that, want to do with those gifts in us? Why do we receive a grace gift? So that we can use it talked about this a little last week, so that we can put it into action, so that we can live out what we've been given. He expects our grace gifts to be a blessing to the church as, as a whole, to our local church and the universal church believers everywhere. Our gifts are to be put into action to bring glory to God. That's why he's given us a gift. So we got to be careful here. This is what, you know, our human fleshly self-centered tendencies tend to think of our giftedness and have it puff us up. Oh, God made me like this. So, (laughs) aren't I cool? We gotta be careful, right? This is a grace gift from God. This is not our, 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 our spiritual giftedness, this blessing of grace that he's given us, this calling he's given us to live out for the sake of others. Is not for our personal gain or to make us look impressive, but it's for the benefit of all. It's for the benefit of, of, of our church family and for believers everywhere and, and for a lost and hurting and separated from God world that we can serve. So, therefore, we think about this. Each of us, followers of Jesus, have received a grace gift. And not only have we received gifts, we are Because of those gifts, we are gifts to the church. 
We are needed, each of you as a part of the body, each of you as a recipient of a grace gift is, is significant and needed and valuable. God wants to work in you and through you. Richard Koken, an author and a pastor, writes this. So my church is not just there in order to bless me, as though I am a shopper filling my basket in the supermarket, right? So we get a picture here of how we could approach our participation in a church family. He writes, so my church is not just there in order to bless me, as though I am a shopper filling my basket in the supermarket. The opposite is true. We're all saved and given to our churches as gifts to bless others by serving them. And he finishes that by saying, we are not meant to be consumers, but contributors. And so part of the purpose of this passage, as Paul exhorts us to live a life that is worthy of the gospel, part of this passage then is calling us to unity, and now he's calling us to use our grace gift to serve others, to minister to others, to be not consumers, but contributors. And so, so the rest of the passage, we can ask ourselves, okay, how do, I, how do I get there if I'm not there? Or how do I keep growing in this area of being a contributor to my church family? Let's kind of approach the rest of the passage um, with those eyes. So, of course, one thing I know that comes to mind when, you, when we think about this topic, when we think about grace gifts being given... When we think about perhaps as a follower of Jesus, I have a spiritual gift. I know a question that comes up for you is, well, what are the spiritual gifts? And some of you have had a chance to study these and read these scriptures and, and learn a bit more about this, and it's, and it's worthwhile, and I would encourage you to do so. It's a little beyond the scope of what we have time for this morning as we study this passage in Ephesians, um, but there are multiple lists in the New Testament that give us an idea of, of the spiritual gifts, of what they are. And you can find these different lists, and you'll read things like that there are grace gifts like serving. Some are, are gifted to be givers. Some are gifted to have mercy. Some are gifted with, uh, with a faith, a strong faith, with the ability to encourage, with administrative gifts, with help behind the scene gifts, with wisdom, and, and there's more. And so it's worth, it's worth looking into. It's worth studying when you have an opportunity to. Um, so I know the question then that comes up for many is, okay, well, it, okay, those are some of the gifts. What do I have? What's my spiritual gift? How many of you have ever at one point asked that question or wondered that? Yeah, most followers of Jesus, if you've been around the church for a while and you've kind of heard this idea of having a gift given from God for you to use, we've wondered, well, what are the gifts and what's mine? And I, I, here's, here's a, here, I'm going to simplify it a little bit. Don't get caught up in being too worried about knowing exactly what yours is. Because I think we can get kind of spun off and distracted and too worried about figuring out exactly what it is. What's, this, uh, what's Nike's slogan? Here's my theory about discovering your spiritual gift. Just do it. Just serve. Just give of yourself to your church family. Just do it. Find a place to jump in. There are many places inside our church family and in our community where followers of Jesus could use their time and their energy and their giftedness and to serve. So I would say, Nike, just do it. Start serving. 
Look for a place to jump in. Look for a place where you could help out and start doing it. And you know what tends to happen as we do that is we'll see how God works in our life. We'll see how God uses us and we think, wow, this, does, this is really, I think I found a niche. This is really where God seems to use me. Or, or maybe you'll jump in and serve in a place where you go, hmm, that doesn't seem like me. <laughs> and you can try another one. Just do it. And also, as you jump in and serve, you know what else can happen, I think, which is really encouraging, is fellow brothers and sisters around you, other followers of Jesus might go, you know what I see? I see that gift in you. I see God really using you in this way. Man, you know what jumps out at me is when you help out, I'm thankful that God is working through you. I think this might be your grace gift. So I think those are a couple of good ways to discover um, your grace gift is ask other believers what they see in you and how you serve and what you have to contribute to the church. And there are, there are things that you can find out there, tools, lists of spiritual gifts, questionnaires that might help you kind of think about it. And that can be useful. But I just would say don't let those little quizzes put you in a box. Let them help you st- stir your mind about what, you, what God's made you to do and maybe what he's not made you to do. But, but just do it and let God use you and then see what your grace gift might be. So anyway, that was a little tangent from the passage. But for the purposes of this passage that we're studying in Ephesians 4, you know, I I know there's curiosity about, well, what are all the gifts? What are these grace gifts? What are some of these? In here in Ephesians 4, Paul focuses, this is just one of many places where spiritual gifts are listed. And here in Ephesians 4, Paul focuses on four gifted persons, four gifted people who are gifts to the church, leadership gifts, people that he has called to roles in the church, and then he has gifted them accordingly, verse 11. And he, Jesus, gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Again, these are different kinds of ministries that God calls certain Christians to, and then grace gifts them accordingly. If this is how God wants them to live out their faith, if this is how God wants these people to serve uh, the church, to serve Jesus by serving others, then he grace gifts them accordingly to these, to these roles. Now, why did I say um, four gifted persons, when if you look at Verse 11, it sure seems like a list of five. Here's why I said four persons. It, and this is, this is not a hill I would die on. But it looks like, in the, in the Greek structure, in the original language, it looks like the way this ri- list was written, that the grammatical structure seems to indicate that the last two, pastors and teachers, are, are linked. In, in, the, in, the, in the grammar... They seem to be kind of pushed together, hyphenated. And also, I would say that many scholars and translators of the Bible, people much smarter than me, many have come to the conclusion that it's apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. Tracking with me? So maybe it's four four offices, and even if it's not, the same ideas apply here to what I'm about to say, is... um, is these are our leadership roles that God gifts those people accordingly to serve the church. So what would be the role of a pastor teacher? 
In the original language, the word translated pastor here is the same as shepherd. It could be shepherd teachers. This leadership role of shepherd teacher. And and we see other places in scripture where the role of leadership in the church is compared to the role of a shepherd. And of course, God's people compared to sheep. That the leadership, the elders, pastors have this role of shepherd teacher to care for the flock, to protect the flock, to teach uh, God's word to the flock. So that's the role of, of pastor teacher. But all of these roles that were just listed in verse 11 have something in common, which is teaching God's word. All of those leaders, all of the, those types of leaders have a, have a calling before God to proclaim the truth of God's word, to teach his word, to help God's people uh, know and obey the scriptures. And so what should that mean to us? What should that mean to us as a local church family? That we are to be people of the word. That, that part of the way God gifts some in the church, some of these grace gifts of leadership with the, with the commonality of being teachers of God's word, that should show us that, that it's critical for our church family to be people of the word. And that, and that one way we as a church family, one way we leaders help bring about spiritual growth includes teaching the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, as foundational truth for God's people. Teaching the Bible, Old Testament and New, as as critically important foundational truth for the follower of Jesus. And, And that gives all of us an opportunity to listen to God's word, to study it ourselves, to keep our finger in the text and make sure we're hearing from God, to mark up our Bibles. You know it's okay to write in your Bible. I love doing it. Some of you love doing it. Some of you are not sure if you're supposed to or not. Okay, it's okay. Underline, circle, make a note in the margin of what God's teaching you, um, and, and, and study your Bibles so that we can live worthy so that we can know it and obey it so that we can live it out so that we can apply what we are learning from God's word to our lives so you know when we think of this bigger picture of grace gifts what are these gifts and when this variety and each believer has a grace gift this passage is emphasizing that among the grace gifts are some that are for those called to lead and shepherd and teach and so there's other passages in our Bibles, of course, about leadership roles, about pastors and elders, and they're calling to shepherd, and they're calling to be overseers of, of the local church, and they're, caring, they're calling to shepherd and care for and nurture and protect and teach God's people. And so uh, that's the emphasis of this passage is that as a church family, if we are aware that those grace gifts exist and those, God has those that are called to those roles for our benefit— then we as a church family need to make space for that. We need to have a place for looking to our spiritual leaders, those called to shepherd teach. God is leading us uh, through the elders that he has called to lead our church. Um, 
A quick fun side note there is uh, speaking of the elder team that leads us in uh, thinking of um, moving into the future as an elder team. If you were around last Sunday for our informational meeting, we mentioned that the elders are highly recommending uh, a new elder candidate, someone that we are highly recommending that you vote in 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 an upcoming opportunity sometime soon to affirm as a new elder. And so I'm just excited again to say that that guy is right there, Trevor Russell. Would you wave your hand, my friend? There he is. Yep. And so we're thankful for him, and uh, couldn't be more excited about uh, what God's doing in his life and in his family's life and in the process that led us elders to really excitedly and wholeheartedly recommend him to you. If you don't already know Trevor, I would love you to take an opportunity to say hi and get to know him a bit, uh, and then in the next Sunday or two, we're hoping to have him up here a bit as well so you can hear his heart and get to know him a little bit. And then, as I said, um, we will let you know very soon when we'll have a chance as a congregation to vote um, our affirmation of that recommendation. So, look forward to that. So, let's continue in the passage. As we consider those with grace gifts for leadership and teaching, what are those leaders called to do? And I think this is a fascinating part of this passage. So, if you fell asleep, wake back up. I know I'm not the most interesting guy in the world, but God's word is, and that's why we keep our finger in the text, okay? So what are these leaders called to do? What what does he go on in this passage to say about those that have the grace gifts to teach? And earlier, we talked about all of us believers as a church family are not to be consumers, but what? Contributors. Contributors. So I said we were going to read the rest of the passage kind of from that lens of, okay, how can I contribute, right? What's my grace gift is part of it, and then how do I contribute to my church family? And I think this next part is really encouraging because you're going to to get some help in becoming a contributor. Verse 11, remember, says, Jesus gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers, verse 12, to... Equip the saints, who are the saints? Believers, believers in Jesus, to equip believers for the work of the ministry. Wait, wait, I'm sorry, I think I read verse 12 wrong. He gave prophets, evangelists, shepherd, teachers to do all the work of ministry and to be the important people in the church. Is that what 12 said? (laughs) Okay, I hope not. I hope not, because I totally don't believe or live this way. Verse 12 says that these leadership-gifted people, shepherd teachers, are to equip the believers for the work of ministry. This is, if we're honest, in our experience of church, this might be drastically different than our our perception or than what we have seen, what we kind of think maybe should happen or what what we experience. Instead of leaders, grace-gifted leaders, doing all the ministry, verse 12 says that grace-gifted leaders equip all the believers for the work of ministry. This is extremely important. I mean, this, I mean the all of Scripture is, is God-breathed. All of Scripture is God-breathed and inspired for our good and for, our, for us learning. And then I feel like there's some verses sometimes that just set things on their head, and help us to know what God intends. And I think verse 12 is one of them. It it goes against our impressions of how church works. Listen to this. Kent Hughes, an author, pastor, says this. 
this verse, verse 12, this idea of leaders equipping believers for the ministry effectively eliminates the traditional model of local church as a pyramid. Okay, we're getting another visual. Have we ever, would we, would we be willing to say we've ever pictured church this way? As a pyramid with the pastor perched precariously on the pinnacle like a little pope in his own church. This is what his quote says. While the laity, that's the version for the non-paid Christians, the non-paid people of the church, while the laity are arrayed beneath him in rows of inferiority. But, I mean, even if we didn't quite think of it quite that poorly, would we admit to sometimes having a perception of church as sort of a pyramid and sort of a top-down, and there's sort of these higher-ups and these spiritually gifted people, and then there's me? Yeah. And then he keeps going. This quote continues. Verse 12 also shoots down the model of a bus in which the pastor does all the driving while the congregation are passengers slumbering in peaceful security behind him. I've, I've also heard it said, um, I was reminded in my studies this week, I was, I've also heard this comparison made to an NFL game. Okay, picture, let's all say, we, uh, even if you don't care about the NFL, let's pretend we go to a stadium to watch an NFL football game. There's 100,000 people desperate for exercise and 22 people down there. I got nosebleed seats because I'm not very, I don't have the money for a decent seat. And there's 22 dudes down there who are desperate for a rest. Let's not make that the local church, right? 100,000 people desperate for exercise and 22 desperate for a rest. So we, we want to we make this contrast of, of how we envision being a church family and how we envision doing the work of God's church. God has given you his spirit, the gospel good news is that he has rescued you from sin and death, brought you out of darkness and into the light, out of death and into new life. The gospel good news is that he has reconciled you to God, put you back in relationship with a holy, perfect God. That gospel good news calls you to live it out. That gospel good news calls us to walk worthy. And so then what does that look like? How do we envision church? Because of what he has done for us, how do I serve him by serving others? What is our picture of church? We could picture it like this, that, that you, the congregation, God's people, are, are the spectators of this sporting event, are the spectators. And, and us professional players are out here on the field or on the court, so to speak, those of us that are professionals and that get paid and that have degrees and we're down here doing the ministry. We're in the game. We're playing the game. And you, the congregation, God's people, are the spectators. That's one way we could envision church or this one. This is, this is different than what I just described. Or we realize that we're in the game, that all of us followers of Jesus are in the game, on the court. The teams are the congregations, God's people, believers in Christ, trained by the Bible teachers. In other words, those grace gifted for leadership and teaching are on the court with you. Maybe you could go as far as to say that the grace gifted leaders and teachers are player coaches alongside of you. 
equipping you to play the game, to be in the game, to be doing the ministry, to be doing what God has called the church to do and be. And then it, I like how it indicates there's you know, these spotlights, there's, there's, there's things bringing help and attention to you playing the game. You're in the game, you're living it out. God has a part for you to play and, and God's spirit lives within you and you have God's word to help you in doing what God has called you to do. He has gifted you and empowered you to play the game because that's what he's called you to do. And then who are the spectators? Instead of you being, you believer being the spectators, instead what we see on the graphic is it's a watching world is the spectators. Our friends, our family members that are far from Jesus, our coworkers that don't yet know Jesus, our local community, a watching world. The bottom line is that each of us should be involved in some kind of ministry. Verse 7 told us that each has received a grace gift. So each of us, each follower of Jesus needs to be involved in some kind of serving Jesus by serving others. Serving in the church and outside of the church in the name of Christ. So you know, on that previous slide, if, if you picture yourself as in the game now, if you've gotten out of the stands, you're not just a spectator, and you find yourself now on the court in the game, some of your personalities aren't real suited to that. You're going, I don't want to be in the game. I don't want to be in the game. Just, just know there's no, there's no pressure. You, you are in the game. But it doesn't come with pressure to be the star. You don't have to be LeBron James your grace, grace gift might make you feel like LeBron James, and it might not. Your grace gift just needs to be put into action. You don't need to, there's no pressure for you to be the star of the show, but God expects you to do the best with what he has given you. With, with the grace gift that he has given you, he wants you to use it. Put it into action. You do, play the part that he's called you to. And, and if we all do that, as a church family, we know that we have a grace gift and we look to serve Jesus by serving others with it, that brings glory to God. And it brings about spiritual growth. It brings about the kind of growth that we do want. Different than the growth on my back that the doctor has to cut off. This is growth that we're looking for, spiritual growth. This is what glorifies God. So why do, we have a role, or why do we all have a role to play? And, and how is God going to work through each of us, grace-gifted believers? Verse 12. God wants to work through each grace-gifted believer. He's got those leadership gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry, verse 12. And that those people equip the saints, equip all believers for ministry, so that for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of, stature of the fullness of Christ. You doing your part, you using your grace gift, builds up the church. You playing the part that God has given you to play brings about spiritual maturity in the followers of Jesus around you. God has this role for you to play. We want to become more and more like Jesus, and we each, by using our grace gifts to serve the church and serve each other, are helping each other become more and more like Jesus. 
Verse 14. Why would we want to be more like Jesus? Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He's contrasting here immature believers, immature faith, being gullible, fickle, unstable. There's a possibility, if we don't continue to grow in Christ, of being these immature, unstable, influenced by the latest book or fad or trend or influenced by the latest podcast or conspiracy theory. And instead of being tossed to and fro in the wind of that, we are called to grow in Christ, be increasingly mature in our faith, becoming increasingly like Jesus, so that we are stable and steady and focused and finding unity of the faith, working together towards spiritual growth. Verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. It's really fascinating that what's translated here as speaking the truth in love is a, is a participle that really, you could almost say it, truthing. That, that one of the ways we that we build each other up, that we grow in spiritual maturity, that we become mature believers is by truthing one another. Yes, speaking the truth, but also living the truth, having lives of truth and uh, married, you know, this, this truth and grace together. Truthing has the idea of not only speaking the truth, but doing it. Uh, transparent, honest, loving speech and lives. Verse 16. And as we speak the truth in love, we are to grow in every way, verse 15, into the head who is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint from which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself in love. The head, this metaphor of the body, the church as the body, the head is Christ. Our senior pastor is Christ. And under him, we believers are Holy Spirit-empowered ministers of the gospel that God has given a grace gift to you so that you can serve Jesus by serving others. Let's ask for help in doing that. Father God, we thank you for your love for us and for this opportunity to study your word. Father God, we, we are thankful that you are a God who is great and mighty and powerful and knows all and sees all, and a God who has come near to us, a God who is love. God, as, as we revel in the riches of what we have in you, as we revel in the the riches of the spiritual blessings you have given us as we bask in the gospel good news that in Christ you have rescued us from sin and death and brought us into new life. God, I pray that you would help us to walk worthy, that our lives would be increasingly transformed into the likeness of Christ, that you would help us to maintain the unity of the Spirit by being peacemakers that you would help us to seek out, to know, and to recognize the grace gift that you have given us so that we can put it into action, not so that we get the credit or the glory or that we become the star, but God, would you work in us and through us 
would, would the grace gift that, you're give, that you've given to us be put into action so that you get all the glory? And God, as we, as we serve others around us, as we give of our time and our energy and our spiritual gifts, we do pray for this growing maturity in Christ. That individually, believers around us, and that we as the local church family would be more and more like Jesus, that we would be more and more spiritually mature, so that we would not be tossed by the waves of life and the distractions, but instead that we would be steady and stable with you as our rock foundation. God, we worship you. We continue now to say our prayers and to lift our voices in song and to give our offerings all out of thankfulness for all that you have done for us, recognizing that all we have comes from you. And so we have this opportunity to give back to you in living a life that is worthy and giving of ourselves to see your purposes accomplished in our community, in our state, in our world. May Jesus be lifted high through our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.